Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Realty Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Samino, and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Steve. It'll probably turn out to be a very simple thing. <clears throat> that's the that's the quote from this from one of the finest films of all time that you summoned. No, I, I had another one ready, but you already said it in our pre in our pre conversation about oh, being rich. And, so I, uh, <laughs> well, the listeners and, don't know that. Now you could have fooled them. You wouldn't have fooled me, but <laughs> well, you know. Well, Andrew, happy hundredth episode of the. It's not really our hundredth yeah. episode because we've done uh-huh. many that we've just I haven't labeled as official episodes. But <laughs> for numbers' sake and for officiality, this is the hundredth episode. We did it, buddy. Here's to the next hundred. That's right. Well, we'll int- it'll just take us another like what seven years to do a hundred more. <laughs> Yeah, uh, something like that. Maybe, maybe less, given how we're all stuck at yeah. home. We might, we might be, we're yeah. turning them out pretty good. So maybe we'll the next yeah. hundred will go a little faster. But this is the hundredth episode uh, official of the NRLD podcast, and as such, we are talking about what is widely regarded as the greatest movie of all time. Of course, I mean Citizen Kane, the 1941 American drama film by the great Orson Welles. Andrew, you've covered this movie before on your Film 101 series on NRLDeep.com, and we just thought there was really no better path to go down than talking about this movie that is was, is so renowned uh, has a, a great backstory, is going to be relevant even more so because of the new movie Mank, the David Fincher film that is coming out in a few weeks. And it just seemed like there it seemed like there was no other way to go for this special of an episode than talking about a film that has a million things to discuss and that is really, really, really uh, prevalent and relevant once again today. I mean, not when one of our previous 99 episodes is about Sully. I mean, there's only <laughs> two you can do for the top 100. We've already done the other one. So. That's right. He saved all yeah. those souls. He's a hero. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, a, it's a big movie, a natural movie to do, uh, I feel like. And um, obviously there's plenty to talk about. So There sure is. And we're going to get <laughs> right to that. But before that, our beverage of choice segment. I am drinking a... Whiskey, a rye whiskey on the rocks, Katosin Creek, Katoctin Creek. I honestly don't know how to say it. It's a Virginia. Is that right? Okay, there you go. It is a uh, whiskey. It was given to me when I moved into this apartment for free by the building. So thank you, building. And it's a it's a it's a treat, and it's very very good. I feel like for the it was a little bit of a specialty, but for this special episode, I feel like it was very appropriate. Yeah, I am drinking a uh, a little bit of uh, water. I've been double fisting, so I got a little water, a little dried out from all the turkey and stuffing <laughs> and everything. Uh, I assume it's like uh, from a spring on the Colorado load uh, <laughs> where where Charles Foster Kane's from. And then I'm also drinking a nice Pinot Noir from the Central Coast in uh, in California, which you know is where the the real life Citizen Kane sort of proud about uh mm-hmm. yeah so you know so like uh monterey county and uh santa barbara county and all that stuff so yeah, yeah nice little pinot noir sure and look fancy. at that thematically tying Classy. both beverages back good for you yeah i mean that's a lot of that's the heaviest lifting i'll be doing today <laughs> Yes, because you know Citizen Kane very well. As we as I said, you've covered it before. And Andrew, let's let's talk about it. give give everyone a little background. What have your thoughts on Citizen Kane been? Um, you went back and revisited. I know for this before this episode, I'd love to get your two cents on what this movie means to you now. What it meant to you then, and where you currently are with it. Yeah, so I, I went 
so yeah, I wrote this, the film 101 series. I started in 2013 and I, so I think it was the second one I wrote in that series. Um, and uh, so, uh, which, you know, just tells you how high up it was on the list to do, I, I suppose. Um, and it, it, uh, it, one of the things I've learned going through that series, through that series is for most of the films that I've watched, you know, 25 or 26, something like that now, like um, most of them, no matter what era they're from, they all seem to have this like shockingly sort of modern veneer to them, right? Like they feel like whether it's thematic or, or the style they're shot. And I think in the case of Citizen Kane, it's actually kind of both. Um they sort of scream out as like, this can't possibly be from 1941. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This movie movie will be 80 years old next year. Uh, That's insane. Yeah. And it just like, it's like, and and it's so even back then when I wrote about in 2013, that's what I sort of spent a lot of time writing about because, you know, it it certainly, even then it had um, this, this understanding of, um, celebrity power i think there's also like kind of a great gatsby sort of thing going on you know um kane is successful in a way you know gatsby ends up you know damaged and broken you know whatever all that all the horrible things that happened to him but there's there's a there's a sort of a a damaged goods thing going on with like american greatness that, that i think is true to citizen kane that was there then um i think revisiting it this time around i know we're going to talk a lot about this uh feels even more relevant uh you know just like like when i wrote about it in 2013 donald trump was you know the washed up apprentice guy uh <laughs> and now he's like about to not be the president of the united states anymore and like this movie i mean it like there's there's a one scene in it that is like screaming out to the exact moment we're in but i mean the rest of it is like it just it just is so relevant right now and you know i said to you before we got out i feel like Orson Welles understands um, present day American culture better than I do right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, just watch this. I, you know, I would say like, the only thing I'd add is like, this is not uh, this movie. I I personally end up sort of in awe of it. It's not like a very warm film for obvious reasons. Not at all. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, it doesn't even do the thing where they, you know, where like it, like the Don Draper or Tony Soprano thing, where it's like an anti-hero, but you end up kind of rooting for them. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think there's any point in this movie where you're like, I really hope things work out for that Charles Foster Kane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there might be but, the the only scene I would say that is uh, gives him any sort of props is maybe when he's with his his future wife Susan Alexander, and he gets called out by his governor, his opponent for governor, and his wife, and he decides to stay with her. And yeah. th- even that's like he's he's abandoning his his family, <laughs> so it's not like a win necessarily. But he's sort of making a principled stand as opposed to going along with it, and for the sake of potentially winning, you know, for being in the pocket of the governor and sort of uh, abandoning his his life and, and losing. He he really is doing because he doesn't he refuses to lose. He must always play on his own terms, and if not win, then at least go out the way he wants to go out. But there is, mm-hmm. the, I feel like there isn't a, there's a nobility assigned to the, him. I think in that moment that he doesn't have otherwise all the time. Sorry, going out on his own terms, eh? You don't say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hmm, anyone else we know who's doing that? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe. No, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I totally agree. And I, to wrap up my what I was saying, it's just like it. it you, you're sort of in awe of this movie more than you like love it in in a lot of ways. Uh, 
which I mean, in some ways kind of sums up Orson Welles himself, I suppose. So, um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about here. I obviously want to hear what, what you have to say too, as someone who hasn't opined on, these official channels on Susan Kane yet. <laughs> sure. I've only, this is the second time I've seen it. I saw it a few years ago, maybe a decade ago. I think when I was going through some of the, the finer films in the, the world's catalog that I've missed. And then I watched it uh, several days ago for this. And I, well, it's, it's, it's fascinating because it's not a perfect movie. It's not like every frame is just immaculately conceived, you know? But I think you're right. There's something, there's obviously something about it that is timeless and speaks to human nature and powerful men, powerful people in general, the choices they make, what they do with that power, with that money, with that fame. And in a way that, you know, it's not an exact comparison, but I think of something like the social network, for example, which I think tries to do something similar in some ways, but is also extremely tied to obviously with Facebook and like a time and a place and a real person more explicitly for sure than this. But like, you're never going to be able to separate that from the story of Facebook, the story of the internet, the story of the time when it came out, where something like this, even though it is about and maybe it's just the real person versus fictionalized person angle but regardless it is so relevant like you said 80 years later it still hits just as well and the world has moved on in so many ways you know in light years in some capacities but at the same time people are still people and what this what this get what gets this to like a five-star territory as opposed to a social network which is like you know four four and a half like a classic oscar should have won oscars you know should have been beloved when it came out for sure but just doesn't have that exact timelessness that something like this has and i don't and i assume that's just because orson wells is extremely insightful and, and willing to lampoon not only someone like uh like uh, William Randolph Hearst, but also also himself as as this you know very very powerful meticulous uncompromising individual. Like I think that res- like, he understands him and also can highlight the flaws in that type of person. And then I think it's also like you said the way it just feels and looks and the effort that go obviously like I just the old the older movies I've seen. I'm not uh, an expert on movies from the 30s and 40s by any means, but. Some many of the ones that I've seen feel old, you know, and yeah. this does this is vibrant. There's so much going on with camera and like different angles. And I was talking to my brother about it, who loves older movies, and he was talking about how he shoots up a lot. Like yeah. you're sort of like you're you're intruding on a conversation between people, and or even just like what's in like it just every shot just feels so. Uh, crafted and so uh, important and uh, like it's rarely just like the camera standing there shooting something and I think that not to besmirch the directors of those days but I just think they didn't have the the technology or the capabilities that would come to pass in the decades later to sort of be creative and move things around I think you were you were you were limited to be you were forced to be static to a certain extent and Wells is seems like a crazy person and found yeah. ways to to make so much use of of the camera and what he was doing on screen that just many directors at that time just hadn't figured out yet and I think that really rings through and makes does not feel like just two people talking or like a filmed play or anything like that you know it feels like a movie and i just don't think that a lot of films from that era can can stake that same claim certainly you know especially how we've what we've seen since yeah it's it's definitely striking when you watch it and you you're 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 right like this is one of the first things i noticed the first time i saw it was that having seen other movies from the 40s uh there's the shadows the ceilings the perspective the angles really different right you know i mean let's let's talk about casablanca which is i think came out the next year is probably the other great film from this very miniature era uh all on a soundstage in warner brothers uh 
very conventionally made, just like well-written story, totally different. Um, and this is where like, it, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit hard to talk about this. Like I, I'm not personally not one for getting too hung up on the story of the film, the film getting made as opposed to the film itself. Um, however, in this case, you kind of can't ignore it um, because, you know, the context, right? Orson Welles is like, I think in his early 20s when this gets made, he's fresh off of the War of the Worlds prank, which is like, as I wrote in my piece many years ago, is probably the greatest prank in human history, right? Which is where he convinced people that aliens were coming down in the 1930s. People don't know. And he got at RKO Studios, he got full cut rights as a director, which was like, unheard of in the 1940s like just didn't just didn't happen that so was when everyone basically, was, basically was under a, just incredibly complicated contracts and just was like beholden to a right. studio like there was no yeah. no one had flexibility back then like the the idea that we have now of this auteur director just just didn't exist mm-hmm. in 1940 like it's just just not a thing um and so like literally i think one of the reasons this movie is so well regarded is because like literally orson wells is like the only person who even possibly could have made this movie when he did because of all the factors I just, just mentioned, like he was clearly, you know, to throw around a word that's thrown around too much. He's clearly a genius. He's at the top of his game and he gets this sweetheart deal to make whatever movie he wants. And I mean, like, again, context, it almost doesn't happen because the guy he's lampooning William Randolph Hearst, like, tries to take down the movie while he's making it right like mm-hmm. <laughs> like and very this 26 year old kid is trying to tell me sucks and he's like probably yeah. like fuck you kid like yeah. jesus yeah i'm a baron i'm a robber baron you're not gonna do yeah. this yeah so like it, like that's part of it. it's like this movie is like a literal like miracle in some ways but i mean again i don't it's it's it, it's that part is that whole that whole part is amazing um but then the movie itself is amazing too i mean like it doesn't all that all that stuff doesn't really matter unless the movie is as good as it does unless it's as good at you know lampooning it doesn't even really lampoon William Randolph Hearst it's really much more of a statement as you said about powerful men uh, essentially and 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 media and, and that, those two things if if none of that stuff comes off this movie doesn't doesn't matter in the same way. But yeah, and you're not going to be looking fact, up. You're not going to be looking up the story after the fact because you're not going to care. You're not going to go, "Wow, that was wild!" Like, how did that come to be? And then, yeah, like that's the joy. It, it is. It's it's five stars already before you you delve into the Wikipedia or watch the documentaries about it's being made. You know, and then you realize how truly wild it was and how unique and you know how and who the Orson Welles was. Like, it just adds. It just makes it more of like a legendary thing as opposed to just like an unbelievably wonderful film the whole experience is just remarkable it's really weird too to sort of trace some of the history back because you know um you know william randolph first you know I, I, I don't know maybe this is just for you and me but like um the hearst family did actually make its uh its initial fortune in gold which is actually highlighted in deadwood like the hearst mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mr hearst uh, himself yeah uh is is like sort of the beginning of all this so it really does go back and tell this sort of you know sort of quintessentially american kind of depraved story about about power and uh you know it's it's just it's just fascinating in that regard the only other thing i'd add there is like 
I don't know if you actually went, but like one of my favorite weird trips I've made in the last decade, remember vacations, everyone, uh, was going <laughs> up to San Simeon, which is, you know, just south of Monterey uh, on the um, on the coast of California, which is where Hearst, the, the sort of Xanadu, uh, the real life Xanadu was. And I just going around that place, it's bizarre how much like, again, so I, I, I did that trip after I had first seen Citizen Kane, of course. And it's actually bizarre watching now how much they got correct about um, the art uh, and all the, the these sort of things of the Renaissance that were brought to San Simeon. I mean, it's just it's just strange. All of that stuff is like it's all like sort of true, but yet also it doesn't re- it never strives to tell like the William Randolph Hearst story. It strives to tell the story of just a powerful person in in the u.s american history so it's like it's just like yeah, you sort of can't get enough of it the more the more the more and more you dive into it the more and more you just want to want to know about it um so yeah it's it's great it's re- i think you know it gets so much credit for its screenplay by wells and herman mankiewicz uh the yep. the titular mank who will coming soon to netflix yep. and yep. it deserves it entirely but it's so much of what is great about it is sort of what it leaves out in weird ways. Like, it yeah. doesn't, like, you and I were talking before we got in, we were like, okay, what are we going to say about Rosebud? Like, that's, like, the hook in the movie that's sort of the selling point in a lot of ways. That's what, before I saw this movie the first time, I knew what was going to happen in terms of the sled, just because I'd seen a parody on The Simpsons and in a bunch of other places, you know? Like, it was just, <laughs> I just knew what was going to come. And so I didn't really care a ton about it, just because I understood and I enjoyed it on its other merits. And then, watching it again, I felt very similarly, and I just think that, you know, the Rosebud twist or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it is, I guess, technically a twist, but it's just not really harped upon during the movie. It's not really relevant in a lot of ways. Like, it, the movie doesn't spend a lot of time pining over um, Charles Kane's lost life, you know? Like, it doesn't really, like, show you... He, has, he doesn't tell his friends, like, boy, I really wish I had done this or that when I was younger. I wish I hadn't gotten rich. I wish, like, it's just... The, yeah. You just get a sense that this man is a megalomaniac and an egomaniac and 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 needs to win and needs to be everywhere and loved. They say that a million times. He needs to be loved, but you just but they don't say like you must miss your mom. You know, like there's there's barely any mention. Of that. Maybe the one thing where he's going to get her furniture, you know, when he meets Susan Alexander, yeah. like that's the one yeah. time they really touch on his mother. Like that just doesn't really come up. But you understand just from what the movie's getting at that this man is. You know, it's 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 showing not telling, but they're also but they're still telling they're just telling you other things you know and by doing that you're understanding more and more who this guy is without them ever explicitly saying it i think that's one of those things that makes it so wonderful without without being like grandiose or or just too much like it's just it's just in the in over the course of two hours you just realize what a crazy monster this guy is and then in the end you have the reveal that he you know all along he wishes he could have had a a a more down-to-earth, reasonable life. But it's just, I, I'm just, I just, I'm really happy that that is, you know, I, I get why it was, why it's talked about and why it's, why it's parodied and why it's referenced a million times, but it's, I'm just so happy that that's not something that, that Wells leaned on when he was making the movie, because it's just, it's just the perfect coda to things, you know? It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, I said before, Jan, Rosebud is, like, the ultimate, MacGuffin to me like which is you know it's a it's a distraction to get you hooked into the story i mean it is the mystery right that's why it's why the 
the um, the investigative reporter is sort of out there talking to all these people and getting sort of who's these, also a MacGuffin too. Yet. Like he's super irrelevant, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but I think it also is like a little bit of a holding up a mirror to us to society. Like you know, supposedly Charles Foster Kane says these words as as he's dying. Although I was, I'm going to take this straight from Roger Ebert because I was reading this right before. Like we actually, there's a butler who maybe sees him say this, but he's not actually in the room if you go back and watch that scene. So we don't actually know that he says this thing. Rosebud. Don't we see him say it? Well, yeah, we do, but like, there's no there. I mean, but we, but well, we're like the god's eye view, you know, like so. Yeah, so no one can uh, confirm what we know. Mean you mean right? Right, right. But but uh, the whole chase of the movie, the whole setup is that there's a reporter mm-hmm. who has heard that this is these are his final words. But in the movie, like in the actual movie, like you don't actually there's no one actually in the room, and he sort of like lets these words gasping out of his mouth, sort, yeah. of, sort of say them. So there's no like. So I think more what it's about is like just uh, our 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 ability or our our need as people to sort of assign meaning to things yep. <laughs> like, or like, have a story like is. what is this yeah what why does this right. happen like we must know so, the story there must be something more well right and so like and, and in the in the context of the film rosebud matters only at three moments right it's the beginning when we think we understand that it's a well, it, I guess four times. One when it's sort of inter- unveiled as the 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 reason that we're even we even care, you know, the reason someone's investigating. Two when it's shown that that's that's his sled. Three when the scene you, you reference um, where he's he meets Susan Alexander. And by the way, he says like tonight I was going to take a look at them. You know, a sort of sentimental journey about his old things. But he doesn't even go. Like he, like if it was that important, he just like meets some random lady on the street. Yeah. It's <laughs> like oh, I don't care about Rosebud. I'm just gonna <laughs> go off. And then, and then four when you know it's like going into the fire in this big warehouse. Which, by the way, I, I've wondered since I first saw this movie if if Raiders of the Lost Ark was like deliberately cribbing off of that warehouse scene. Um, you know. I don't. Someone can figure that out for us. I guess. Um, feels like likely. It feels like a Spielberg thing to do. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, but like those are the only four moments that really matters, and you know, like at, at actually to your point, like actually at none of these points does it actually matter to understanding Charles Foster Kane. Mm-hmm. So, 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 which is why I said it's because he's not a man who is is uh seems to have a lot of regrets. You know, like he does. Yeah, yeah. There are points when like things go wrong for him that I think you know when he destroys his uh, ex wife's room. I think he's real <laughs> sad about the way things worked out, but I don't think he is. Even at that point, maybe pining for the 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 easier life or the the more down like calm life or the normal people life, you know. Like I think he's just mad that shit got away from him and that he couldn't control the situation and that he's not loved. But like, but I think that again, I think this is all a compliment. Like I don't think this is remotely bad. Like I think yeah. too many movies took the wrong lesson, maybe not from Citizen Kane particularly, but from like stories in general where you need totally to agree. like have an explicit payoff, you know. You need to have yeah. a character say, show what he or her is missing, you know, very clearly. And I don't think you have to do that. Like, that's not, this is really one of the ultimate, the journey is so much more important than the destination. But the destination right. still has a lot of kick to it, but it's really about who this guy was that you learn along the way. Not the, the final meaning, as you noted, is pretty irrelevant. Like, it doesn't, the, nothing, nothing, like, even in the world of the film, they're like, oh, I guess we can't make our newsreel any better because we don't really know what this means. Guess we'll never know. Bye. You know, like it's. 
it's thrown off at the end. His whole his whole journey was sort of for naught. But as obviously the viewer, we got a lot out of it. So I just think that's it. It just it, it feels it's very deliberate, but it doesn't feel overly planned out or you know complicated, which I think is really hard to do. And it's a testament again to the guy's genius that he was able to pull that off. Yeah, I'll just quote myself from the very end of my piece here. I say, once Rosebud is revealed, you can't help but wonder had Kane kept walking away from Susan Alexander, had he never spoken with her, if he might have found what he was looking for. This is a passing passing thought. It defies what little else we know about Charles Foster Kane. Yep. Like I think we're we're in complete agreement. If you take nothing else away, know this, people. Rosebud does not actually matter. It's not the point of the movie. <laughs> No, it's, it's not. not the point of the movie. <laughs> Although it is like a great, it is a great like just one word reference to a really random thing in a film. So it's fun in that regard, but it's it's not the point. You know, to your point, you, you, I think you hit it on the head when you said it's it's the it's the journey, not the not the destination. Because it's it's a fucking sled. Who cares? Yep. <laughs> like like it's not even a, a particularly consequential sled. You know, it's not like a, a sled that was ripped out of his hands, so he was sent east. He just was like, yeah. they were like, hey, put your sled down. He Seemed like, to okay. enjoy it. I'm sure it was a nice sled. You know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Sure, he could have bought another sled in Chicago and New York, you know, so, yeah. But they could have, they could have, so many movies would have had, like, him looking longingly at a at a mountain where kids are sledding on it and being like, hmm, yeah. sledding. And it's like, no, that yeah. would be so bad. <laughs> Don't do yeah. that. But we've both yeah. seen a thousand things that do that, you know, just because they think that's necessary. And it's really just not. It's just so bad. Yeah. But, yeah. well, Andrew, let's also talk about, I think, the other element that makes this so timeless. Again, expl- tying it r- to right now uh, in, in, in great detail is – the whole arc of Charles Foster Kane running for governor and getting into politics because <laughs> I was just, I knew you, you showed, you sent me a screenshot of the, the scene where it really hits home. So I knew it was coming, but it's still great. And the, and again, the way they do it. So for anyone who hasn't seen this movie in a while, Charles Foster Kane is running for governor. He is defeated because of all the, he comes out and admits his affair and so loses. And so he is then at the offices of his newspaper, they are sort of debating whether they should concede but to them the idea of conceding is to begrudgingly run the the headline that says fraud in at the polls <laughs> and but the way yeah. what's so good about that is they don't they do it like sort of mournfully and and like it's a matter of fact you know like well yeah. guess we got to run the fraud headline but they're not scheming and scamming they're not like licking their lips and thinking they're going to overturn anything they just know they can't make their boss look bad and yeah. it's just amazing like you know, you, you you see so many stories, and in real life, you expect, you know, a, a declaration like that to be part of a big Machiavellian plan to, to have with some end game in mind. And then you see this, you go, people don't, just as often, it's just some responsive shit people do because they don't want to, their egos or their livelihoods or whatever depend on just perpetuating bullshit. That's just, that's more important than almost anything else. Like, no one knows what they're doing. They're just reacting and trying to keep, stay even keel and, and stay, and keep everybody from crying, you know? And it's it's just fucking brilliant. Yeah, and it's another reason why Rosebud doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, by the way. Because, like, th- this is this is not a uh, you know, it, it, I mean, yeah, it, it th- that so that scene. Just step back. That scene is like a, a thunderbolt. Obviously, like I hadn't seen it since Trump. Obviously, since Trump refused to concede. But um, 
even so it's just like you watch that and you're like oh my god like what like the prophecy has come to come come true um and they never really mention it ever again in the movie like that's just sort of what they do like that's just the business they must that's the decision they have to make given what they're what they've signed up for yeah and i i don't know like going through the trump years obviously has been not a lot of fun for any of us but like uh well i mean hopefully no one listening to this podcast um (laughs) but like you know i think I think like there is an instructive core at the heart of this movie for Trump or for any sort of like celebrity like this, you know, um, which is that like, there is no, there is no, there is no rosebud, right? There is no deeper meaning here. Like the story here is that Charles Foster Kane wants to be loved and doesn't care about loving anyone else. And it's a fucking bottomless pit. There's nothing that you can't possibly there's not there's never enough for him and to me that is probably the most serious and political i have ever gotten on this podcast but like that is the story of donald trump there is nothing that can fill up the the deep dark vacuum at the heart of that man's soul and it's the same with charles foster kane and it's why this movie is like a thunderbolt to explain explain this this individual and it's why he's not actually, I, I think, you know, it's been a tough four years, but I think it's why he's not actually, Donald Trump is not actually that interesting of a person at the end of the day. Like, he's not unique. Um, it's unique that he was president of the United States, but like, as this movie foreshadows, like... Yeah, 80 like, years ago, like, they called, we had like, guys like yeah, this already, and... 100%, 100%. And so it's it's like... Uh, you know, there's some comfort, I guess, in that. I don't know, like it, maybe not comfort isn't the right word, but it's like it, 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 it's like we've we've seen this type of person. Obviously, we've seen this type of person before, and we'll see them again. Well, you said um, we've we've never handed them the keys to the kingdom. That was that was new, and we saw yeah. how that went. And uh, uh, again, for most people listening, I would say they would concur that it didn't go particularly well, especially at certain points. But yeah, it does. It, it reinforces what two things you said. Yeah, Donald Trump is is a he's the quintessential American success story in a lot of ways, and this is the quintessential American story in a lot of ways. Like not all Americans for sure. It's mostly rich and powerful and egotistical people who think they deserve everything that has been handed to them. You know, it's really their story more than anything. But I will say that uh, a lot of people in power in America and the way America has been built and structured and nurtured for hundreds of years gives credence and 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 big thumbs up to those type of people. You know, you're doing great. You've achieved. It doesn't matter how you've achieved. You've achieved. And it's in human nature. You know, th- this part extends beyond Americans, but it's in your human nature, I think, to hold on to what you have once you get it. And yeah. I think America is, is in that sense, is uniquely built to, uh, to help facilitate that holding on, you know? And... I think, like we said, uh, Charles Foster Kane and John Donald, like the 80 years ago, there were plenty of people like this. And that's uh, both depressing and, like you said, reassuring to a certain extent. It's just because I don't know if things are getting better or worse. That's that's the thing that people debate all the time. But like you said, they certainly have been somewhere like this before. There have been people like this. And I, I think you're a thousand percent right that you there is no – if someone is built this way and has been – 
coddled and and brought to this point, then I think Sisson Kane nails it. Like this is the way they're going to be until their last breath. And you just don't undo all of that. And you and there's some sympathy in there. Like I think that is I think it makes this movie really good is to a certain extent you're like, wow, it's it's you know it must be you you can relate a little bit. Like, well that must be hard. You know, it's certainly it's certainly I can see why this guy would have become this this tyrant, you know? But at the same time, the movie is unflinching about saying this man is a tyrant. So it's like yeah. your sympathy yeah. is goes incredibly is incredibly narrow. And you're left, you know, thinking he emotionally he got his just desserts. You know, every every pitfall he ran into was a hundred percent of his own doing and, and what he deserved for the kind of human being he became. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like, ultimately it's a character study, right? Of course, but it's, it's like the study, the portrait it paints is like actually not all that complex of an individual, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like for all for Charles Foster King, for all of his wealth and all of his power, um, you know, what I said earlier and what you're saying now is sort of like, that's, that's all there is to him. Like he just, he wants to be loved and there is no possible amount of love that will ever satisfy him. And I guess, like, to bring it back to to Trump one last time, hopefully, like, I think the same is true of Donald Trump. Like, I just, I just think he, like, it's why I personally have, like, I've never, I have personally not bought into like the, you know, some of the the hyperventilating three dimensional checkers. Like, he's got some master plan going on there because it just like doesn't like it, it doesn't compute, right? It doesn't mean that the things he's doing aren't awful. It just means that they're not, he's not doing them. He's not doing them out of some grandmaster evil plan. Mm -hmm. He's just a piece of shit, right? Like like that's, and that's, that's Charles Foster Kane is the same. He's just kind of a piece of shit. Um, And so that's, but that's so, that's again, that's, that's this, we said this in other ways already, but that's why this movie is so great is because we expect there to be some sort of not even villain necessarily because I don't yeah. want to but you expect you're you're rich and you're powerful and you're intelligent or whatever combination of those three to have some sort of a plan you know and we to most stories we tell fictional ones in particular there is always a plan there is always something going on there is there is some sort of chess being played there's some reveal so i think it's just you know i think you see a movie like this where it's so not that and it's so reactive and just a a un, a relentless man with resources appealing to the common denominator and getting whatever he can from whoever he can and then you when in real life when that happens with a actual human being of power we just we we're just so uh, we're so expecting the other shoe to drop or there to be more to the story and i think it's just boring and, and and scary when it's not that it's like oh it's uh there's nothing going on here there's no like it would be somewhat comforting i think for there to be a plan and when someone has no plan and is just hollow and broken and knows no other way that's a fascinating story in many contexts but to see it in real life as we have in the last couple of years i think is just very hard to to wrap your head around and and understand in, in some very profound way you know i think people don't want that to be the final story they're not used to it they've come to expect so much different but i think but but to tie it back to this movie like there is so much to that because it is just it is it is profoundly depressing but i think it's profoundly interesting as well because those people are out there and their stories are uh maybe not nuanced exactly but it's 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 a character study that is harder to do right but i think very very deep and meaningful when you can pull it off yeah we want thanos Oh, we got Donald Trump, you know? Yeah. Like, you know that. <laughs> yeah. You know?
<laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's like the, the the banality of evil, right? I suppose that's that's the the, the cliche. Yeah. Yep. Um. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's uh, anyway. It's a great movie. Uh, I will say too. One thing I was really impressed by as well, given that it came out in 1941, is it's pretty sympathetic to its female characters, which are just his two wives. They don't really have a ton going on, but yeah. it doesn't yeah. paint. <clears throat> but the failings of of their relationships and of their marriages and of their connections with with Kane are almost tied entirely to Kane's failings as a human. You know, like yeah. Yeah. they they both suffer in his wake, and they are enablers, and they are they have their downsides as well. But it really just it's just it, they just it seems like anyone who finds their way, you know, his his friend Leland Jedediah Leland, same sort of thing. Like he is sort of an enabler and a pal. Like, he seems like a reasonable enough human being in other contexts, but people who fall yeah. into his world just get you know either they they serve him or they're chewed up and spit out. Like those are the only two options. It's, again, it just sounds like Trump. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> I was pivoting, but I can't help. Like, but yeah, yeah no, it's, 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 it's eerie. Away, but it keeps coming back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really true. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right on. Um, yeah. And I mean, especially Susan Alexander, who is like, really doesn't ask for any of this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't even really want to be like a singer. She's like, I'm not any good. Those like, scenes are so hard to watch. Oh, I, for, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I've seen, again, okay, I've seen the gif of him clapping so many times. Yeah. And yeah. I forgot yeah. the context that he is just making himself do this and trying to will other people. Like, it's just so hard to watch. Like, it's, it's so, and it goes long. on for so long, too. Like, I love yeah. how, how, how that just never seems to end. And you're cringing the entire time. And it's, and for Wells to be 26 and to understand this man throughout his life and play him at so many ages. He, he, I think he plays Kane the best when he's younger, but he still, when he's older, like it's, he still, he has a, a, a deeper understanding of who this guy is that you wouldn't expect someone that young to have at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think like even, even that piece, like, I mean, the, the makeup isn't like, isn't like good by maybe modern day CGI standards, but like, I don't know. We just watched like, every Tom Hanks movie where there's always an old Tom Hanks. <laughs> and like, honestly, like the old game for just as good as like the old, like, you know, uh, league of their own guy. Well, I guess it, it didn't look cheap on a, yeah. on a 4k no. TV either with H, you know, like it's still, I watched yeah. it on HBO max. Like that's probably the best way you could possibly watch it in terms of just, you know, pure visuals. And it that yeah. didn't look junky at all. It looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that, even that was well done. Again, you know, grading on a bit of a curve, but you know, it's literally eighty years ago. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little, little, little higher degree of difficulty back then. Yeah. So, Andrew, any final thoughts on this movie? I think I'm, I'm always really intrigued to hear that it was sort of disregarded when it came out, and then you know, found yeah. a very strong second life. Like, why do you think that was? Um. Yeah, I mean, I. I'm of the opinion that, you know, uh, not to bring it back to Trump one more time, but if we, if we made it, if someone made, uh, you know, some wunderkind director now made a movie about fake Donald Trump and, you know, they made it all about a sled <laughs> and that was sort of the hook for it. We'd be like, what, what are you talking about? This man put kids in cages and you're just pinning it all on a fucking sled. Uh, and I think, so I think we'd think it was weird. And it's, it is one of those movies that like, you know, I, I even I say watching it like the third or fourth time now, whatever, however many times I've seen it, I'm not sure. Um, it, it, 
it's not a movie that fills you with warmth. It's not a movie that um, while you're watching it, you get the sensation that you're watching something great. It's only like every day after when you <laughs> when like you think about things that happen in this movie and you're like, oh my God, that is just so like, all, all these things are just so relevant. So I, I just think it is one of those movies. Like, and, and, and I don't think all great movies are like this. I, um, some of them you just watch them like you're in the theater and you just know that you've you've watched something really special while it's going on. I just I, I can understand why this was maybe not um maybe not didn't 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 hit in the same way in the moment because it just it doesn't it doesn't strike me as a movie that hits you like like that. It's more it is more of a movie. I would put like two thousand one a space odyssey in a similar vein where you're like watching you're like what the hell is going on i mean that that is more applicable to 2001 and then like four days later you're thinking about you're just thinking about things that happen in there um and i i would put this in the same category that's that would be my theory about why it didn't succeed that plus probably a william randolph first like negative campaign <laughs> no i think you're i think that's actually very astute because i imagine it just was not what everyone expected because it was so non-traditional you know like it had the trappings of something you would slide right into and totally get like oh sure i've seen movies about you know rich guys whatever like i'm sure that wasn't the craziest idea but yeah it, it takes such a and the fact that there was not like not to besmirch movies of that era but like the, this movie does go the, it, it settles into a bit of a more linear storytelling format in the second half but the beginning it's sort of bouncing all over the place and i think in a great way like i was really enjoyed that he was you know as he was talking as the reporter was talking to everyone they were sort of uh, offering up different op you know bits of his story and then we finally get to a little bit of a of a start to finish type thing but i think it just i think it probably just threw people and they they, they might have walked away saying that was fascinating and i must revisit it someday because back then you were like i guess i will either pay a nickel to see this again or i'll wait 10 years until like it is somehow accessible right. to me right. <laughs> like you couldn't yeah it right. wasn't as easy to rewatch in those days but yeah i imagine it just sort of blew maybe if, if, if that blew them away then just they had to sit with it and i could see that that just takes time and yeah it is it's it, it really i think that's again the the genius of it is it is both traditional and non-traditional at the same time it's it's nothing you haven't seen before but it's so good at a hundred little things that every other movie would trip up or get wrong and we won't even hold it against those movies you'd be like it's hard to get everything right you know it's fine like yeah, you got yeah, half yeah. of them and this just nails yeah. like there's like joyous moments i'm thinking when he's dancing with all the girls and singing his charles foster kane yep. song that rules yep. like it's so fun and they make that both fun and sort of depressing at the same time like the, the tone and the mood always are wells knew exactly what he was trying to convey in every scene like there really is there's the the, the aura the entire time of a master filmmaker, which again is crazy for a 26 year old, but someone who, who understood exactly what was to be accomplished with every shot, with every second. And I think that's, uh, I don't blame him for never recapturing that exactly because that's wild that he pulled it off once. It's not something you see ever. And I think you get, if you know, especially if you know what you're looking for, but even if you don't, I think it's pretty apparent from early on that this is the work of someone who's really, really good at this job. Yeah. Knows what he's doing. Yep, sure not. That's a nice way to find it, right? Like, Orson Welles, I say that guy knew what he was doing. <laughs> I mean, I wish I was that poison at age 26. Yes, but, I wish uh, I was that poison yeah. ever. I don't think I'll even get yeah, a modicum yeah, of right. that poison. Right, right. 
<laughs> Seconded. <clears throat> but we're here, and we can talk about it, and I think we did a pretty poised retelling and breakdown of this film, Andrew. It's great. Again, go to inrealdeep.com, find his Citizen Kane Film 101. It's great. That whole series is wonderful, Andrew, and it was really a treat to talk about this wonderful film with you. Yeah, lots to watch it again on 200 no yep, sure so. well we can do it yeah we'll watch, <laughs> or we'll watch mank you know we'll, we'll find we'll, citizen, we'll find the citizen drunk or the or magnificent anderson's ambersons we'll watch mother yeah, yeah we'll figure something yeah. out or orson wells yeah yeah maybe just the the episodes of the critic yeah <laughs> yes. uh, frozen goodness was... and green penis is <laughs> yeah, that what you're thinking yes. <laughs> yes yeah that was my first exposure to this movie yes, so, I mean, um, it yeah. was i think that and yeah. the and the mr burns episode of the simpsons where he's basically yeah, yeah. with charles foster kane those yeah. are definitely my first two yeah. <laughs> and they're both yeah. really good so yeah 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 <laughs> and if the rest if you want to hear more of the nrld podcast if this was your first one or if you're just curious what we've talked about previously all of our episodes are on nreldeep.com you can also subscribe to the podcast and get it everywhere podcasts are delivered please do so all, another all hundred plus Right. What was that? No, all 100 plus. Of 100 them. plus. Yes, Al Pacino ones are not numbered, but they are among our best, and they are all there. So join us, as Andrew said, many, many more to come. But, Andrew, it's been a delight making these with you. It's been so fun. It's a joy, and uh, I can't wait to keep doing more. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> and we can't wait to have you all listen. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Adios.